Welcome to the Abyssinian syllabary, where we spell out Ethiopia in 33 characters. I'm Eve-Marie Stranger, your host and the compiler of these Abyssinian lives. Nota bene. While any resemblance to actual countries, past or present, and to historical figures is not purely coincidental, this is a work of fiction. For a primer on these Ethiopian characters, newcomers may start with the prologue by Manuel de Goes. To order the book or a poster of the Abyssinian syllabary, visit Ethiopia.com. That's U-T-H-I-O-P-I-A dot com. As Birde Mariam and Zere Jacob were traveling from Begumdir to Merabiti, the master gaped the high plateau. Without doubt, Ethiopia is a table mountain, Zere Jacob exclaimed again and again until Birde, incensed, maffled. A table, yes, our pretty land. An upturned one with its legs sticking up to the skies. And we go up one leg, then down, then up another. The Apocrypha of Zere Jacob. S. Alessandro Zorzi. Alessandro Zorzi came about from the coupling of a cobbler, a Croat from Dubrovnik, and a seamstress named Judith, who claimed to have been born in Florence. Judith plied her trade to the east of the Grand Canal, in the backwaters of the Jewish ghetto. The denizens of these parts well knew that Judith was the bastard child of the grain dealer, Moshe, who had sent her strumpet mother off to the said town of Florence with eight ducats in her pouch, on condition that she never return. Surprisingly, she held her word, but it is her daughter that appeared in her stead one morning of noxious fogs, speaking too loose and promptly being nailed by the cobbler. That is how Alessandro came to be called Jew by some, Croat by others, and sometimes both, which made of him a very good Venetian, Alessandro himself was to later say, good-naturedly. For that would be the very definition of a burger of the Serenissima, a Dalmatian believing to be a Jew who mistakes Venice for the Holy Land. All levity aside, there may have been truth in these matters, as Alessandro grew up with an inborn ingenuity for decrypting ancient tomes and a knack for picking up foreign patois. From an early age, he was very good at filling ledgers with exact accounts, which is, as we all know, the true mark of a Jew. Alessandro, left to his own devices by Judith, was destitute, a poor amongst the poor, and he dressed in rank clothes, no much better than rags. Yet he was a joyous child. He loved to play with his fellow mudlarks at the Venetian hopscotch that jumbles Latin and Hebrew letters, and at Marco Polo, a kind of blind man's bluff in which he excelled, having committed to heart each cobblestone of the square Veronica. Alessandro spent his days on the olive waterways. His crew and himself would dare each other to reach Magdalena Street or the Ricoletini Canal by the walls, leaping from terrace to wharf and from window frame to pontoon along the waterfront. The jackanapes would often tumble into the canal 
leaving here and there the outlines of their falls in the mudflats. It was while engaging in such an act of braggadocio that Alessandro felt himself seized by the neck one day as he inched across a perilous passage underneath a balcony that had seemed deserted. A hand stained in ink shoved him into a chiaroscuro interior in which the only light was shed by two guttering candles. Alessandro immediately took note that five more unlit stumps were stuck onto the candelabra, awaiting the Sabbath. Moshe plumped him down on a walnut stool. His grandfather, for it was he, had been observing the child from afar for a long time, taking in his aptitude for dancing over the paving stones with eyes shut tight, as if larking about in broad daylight. Moshe had recognized his own sparkly eyes, as he had known himself in the child's high-domed forehead, like the pig bladders used as floats to fish eels. Moshe saw himself reflected in this large brow, the sure sign of a nimble mind, so that he resolved to make of Alessandro a Talmudist, skillful at threading his way back to the past, one who would avoid the cul-de-sac of history and be able to follow with shuttered eyes the route to the Ark of the Covenant, safekeep of the Hebrews, the terrestrial seal of their pact with Yahweh, stolen by the Ethiopian Sheba and her only son, Menelik. Moshe knew of the book of Eldani, the tale of a Jewish traveller who stunned Jerusalem in the 10th century with his recounting to fascinated audiences, his flashing eyes, his glossy skin, of how he, Eldani, was the emissary of his African Jewish tribe, the long-lost tribe of Dan. The Eldani, of the progeny of Shem and of Cush, were to be found between the rivers of Gion and of Tigris, in those confines where the duplicitous Ethiopians have concealed the Ark, the source of all their present success, and the sole reason for which neither we nor the engines of Bahamomet have been able to subjugate them to this day. It is to counter El Dani that the letter to Prester John is forged, for it is a fake, a forgery created to confuse the Hebrew and have them believe that Ethiopia is a Christian land, when, in point of fact, all Ethiopians are apostate Jews. Moshe instructs Alessandro in the signs and the writings in the darkened rooms above the canal full of night soils. Before long, the neophyte can trace himself the alphabets and the Kabbalistic representations without even a need for the dim candlelight behind shuttered windows. Alessandro is still playing blind man's bluff, albeit on a larger court. He wanders the docks and the port inns which provide lodgings to strangers and half-breeds. Of all, he asks the same. Have you heard speak of the Prester, he who reigns beyond the sixty-six cataract? The years are propitious for his task. The Portuguese have built trading forts along the African coastlines. The discord between Catholic and Orthodox in Abyssinia has sent scurrying towards Rome a host of priests who continue to mutter their tenets in Gurs a credo taught to them in seminaries convened under fig trees on the shores of Lake Tanna. Alessandro collects their testimonials. 
he transcribes each leg of their journeys from Barara, the capital of Abyssinia, on Mount Amara. He scrupulously relates if the lands they traverse are Muslim, if they happen to be fertile, if they are inhabited by savage creatures, and if they are subject to a torrid sun. There is the Sudan route by the deserts and along the river, and the Suakim track by way of the Eritrean Sea. These routes trace the etching east and west of a trunk branching out into the highlands of Ethiopia. Alessandro is mapping a geographical golem. The cartographer gathers the testimonies of Brother Thomas of Ganji, of the monk Elias from the Monastery of the Mountain of Gold, and countless others. The map formed by the itineraries of the Venetian informs us of the outline of a country he has never set eyes upon, a country which he is contributing to bring to life. We do not know if Alessandro Zorzi found for himself that which he sought, nor if he was able to convey the results of these investigations to his co-religionaries. It does seem to be the case that the Ark, whose location he had sought through many a traveller's tale, continues to reside in Abyssinia to this day. Alessandro was found one morning, stretched out in a miry canal, which was more than half refuse. When a graveyard had to be selected, as not one person could vouch with certainty if he had been Jewish, Catholic, or of another persuasion, somebody interjected, in any account, assuredly Venetian, so that Alessandro was buried at sea in front of the Laguna.